0: You are listening to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast. If you are an Indian living abroad, feeling stuck in an average 9 to 5 or a job or business that's not helping you reach your full potential, this is the podcast to tune in where you will find your role models and learn from their dream struggle victory stories. This is your host Asan Ali, a long-time IT professional living in Sydney, Australia, who has made it his mission to find and unpack the stories, strategies and life lessons of successful and inspiring Indian expats to help you and I reach our full potential. Today's guest is a veteran in SME space. Sunil Jha started his career in IT in India, ran a successful business, developing ERP style of software even before ERP softwares became popular. Sold it, moved to Australia, started fresh with lots of challenges. Once settled, within a couple of years, he started his own business again, but this time not in IT but in business process optimization. So Sunil brings deep entrepreneurial experience of more than 30 years. He also has unique experience of building and then exiting from a business twice. I'm really excited to learn from his success, failures and challenges during his career. So without further ado, let's talk to Sunil. Hi, Sunil. Welcome to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast.
1: Thanks a lot, Esan uh, It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: I'm really excited to get into your story, Sunil, from what I have seen on LinkedIn, a little bit of conversation in the past. You have navigated the uh, IT world for over 35 years so there's I lots. guess that shows my age yeah <laughs> you still look young Um, there's a lot we could cover but what I'm thinking of uh, uh, getting out of uh, this conversation today Sunil is get to understand your entrepreneurial journey which can give us some insight and inspiration you have seen a lot of different businesses and the whole business model changing in the last 20 years in Australia so we'll talk a little bit about career aspect as well if that's okay
1: Sure, absolutely. Okay. Happy to help.
0: So let's start with uh, your background and a little bit that I know, let me quickly tell you. So I understand you did your graduation in the 80s back home in India and uh, you started in IT in mid-80s. And within few years, you started your own business, ran it for a long time, then came to Australia fresh, started to find job, and eventually in a couple of years, you started in your own business, and it's been 20 years you have been running it. So when I look at your old 35 years of career, you have been predominantly an entrepreneur, very little of job. So hmm. why don't we start with the day one of your job back in India? What did you do?
1: Wow, that, that'll be going back a long time. One of my first jobs in India was as a developer, as a programmer, with with a garment export organization. It was called Stencil Apparels and they wanted me to come in and help them develop their entire, it was called kind of a manufacturing system basically, so everything to do with the garments that they were creating. So all the embellishments and and how much cloth and how much fabric you know would be required and all of that. So I created kind of a linear program for them, and that was done way back at that time in DBASE three plus. Okay. What's that called? Uh, DBASE. DBASE three plus. Have you never heard of it?
0: No, I've heard of basic, <laughs> but not uh, DBASE.
1: Yeah. So the languages at that time were COBOL, BASIC, FORTRAN, and DBASE. DBASE okay. had just come as a as a database, and it was easy to use. It, it had a very easy database access to it. Okay. So that's what happened. And then, of course, as the world grew, then we came across Visual Basic. That became the, the commercial language. But COBOL and DBS were kind of the commercial Programming languages of those times.
0: I definitely have COBOL experience. I coded in Rex. I built a lot oh, yeah. of tools during my two decades.
1: Then I joined a company called Punsons. Uh, Punsons was—they uh, had two different divisions. One was into the export division. The other one was the construction division. So the construction division is where I got employed again as a programmer. And they that was a good learning for me because they threw at me some documents that were bought or that were actually consulted through with, at that time, Anderson Consulting. And they had spent, I think, about 5 million rupees on getting those documents across. And my manager asked me to go through these in the first three weeks of my joining the company. And he says, come back and let me know what happens. Uh, what do you think about these documents? So. After three weeks, I went back to him and I said, this is useless. And his response was, he said, do you think that we spent 5 million rupees on a document for the, with a very high level consulting firm and you were telling me, a junior programmer, that this is useless? And I said, look, you asked me for my uh, suggestion or opinion, I'm giving it to you. So he said, what do you suggest? I said, we will have to rewrite everything for your construction division that's going to suit you. Because those documents were written for the export division.
0: I see. Right.
1: Anyway, I set up their entire um, um, software division. I built a payroll system, an accounting system, construction, what's it called, inventory system, and all. And then when I'd done everything, I realized that I was useless in that company. So I already
0: finished what they needed.
1: Correct. So all I was doing was sitting there and doing nothing. And it was not something that that goes with me. I need to be challenged in my life always. So I decided to move away from the company and, um, set up my own business. It was called professional business software. I still remember it was set up in 1985.
0: And you had uh, just two, three years of professional experience.
1: Correct, yeah. I mean, programming experience, working with different companies. uh, So, Where
0: where did that uh, mindset or courage come from? You've just started your career and if you start your own business, you may or may not be able to create your revenue, which is income. And as a young professional, everybody is keen to earn more money. So what was that mind shift for you? What made you get into business?
1: First thing first is I I seek challenges. That's the first thing that I do, because uh, as I said, nothing wakes me up in the morning if I don't challenge myself with it. So that's the first thing. The other reason of setting up my own business was, if you remember in 1977, Janata government came into power. And the first thing that they did was throw away all the foreign companies. Coca-Cola went out, Pepsi went out, IBM went out, ICIL went out, all these foreign companies went out. it was also the era when companies like HCL and Wipro were setting up their operations in in India. And I started seeing that a lot of existing customers were facing problems because they did not know who to go out to. And that was my opportunity to set up a business. So I set up a software development and consulting house.
0: Okay. So you already had uh, customers connect or it was just your awareness that there will be a lot of work if i set up something
1: It was just my awareness basically but within 6 months time we had acquired 5 customers and again so what i did was i started to reach out to every public company what was happening in those times was that every company which was listed in the, on the stock exchange all their shareholders' data was held by a company called IDM. So they were like an outsourcing company who were who were basically doing the entire shareholders' uh, information. So uh, creating shareholder certificates, emailing them, or oh, sorry, mailing them out, the ventures, everything they were, that was being outsourced to them, and that was costing those companies hundreds of thousands of rupees. So I went out and I said, look. I can build your own internal shareholder system or share accounting system and I will charge you 5,500 rupees per month, okay? And that was 1984. 5,500 rupees times five was a good income for me to set up my business and roll it up basically. And suddenly then I started hiring more people who then became my workforce and business started to grow.
0: So when you started, you were just you. And then when you acquired customers, you started to hire people. Correct. Yeah. See, some of these questions I'm asking is from the perspective of a lot of uh, young professionals want to do something. But this imposter syndrome. Am I enough? Who am I? How will I lead people? I'm so young. And all of those questions come in mind. So you also started young. Did you have those self-esteem issues? Any any kind of doubts? Because starting a business is a completely different thing. Any challenge in early days that you recall? I know it's too too long back.
1: Yeah, yeah. I did not have self-doubts, but I did have fears. What if it doesn't work? And And those fears are normal for any entrepreneur because if you don't have those fears, you will not actually want to run. Okay. But the other thing is that every entrepreneur needs to think that setting up a business is the easy part. Setting up a business service, which is what is going to help your customers, is the difficult part. So what is happening in today's world is that if IT is booming, everybody wants to be in the IT space. Like good old times in India, when suddenly every second household was doing what? You go and talk to them and you say, what are you doing? Oh, we are a garment exporter. Mm. Okay. There were so many of that because suddenly there was a big demand from the US for garments to be exported to them. When mm. you start a business, when the market is already saturated, mm. then it's not going to work for you because then you become one in a million who are going to support the same thing, right? Mm i have always believed that if you look at a business as a bus and if you are in the front of the bus you have a very good chance of actually becoming successful if you're in the middle of the bus then yes you will be successful but then you will be competing against the people who are in the front of the bus if you're at the back of the bus you got buckles of a chance to do anything because at that point of time it's nothing but pricing you know oh, how much how much money can you drop to get into the into the framework but money is not the only thing by which customers get attracted you know especially in australia where we live today customers want quality of service right they want a commitment that yes i can do it and yes i can give it to you at a quality uh, that you are requiring and yes i can do it within the time frame that you're looking at and as long as you consistently continue to do that so money will
0: roll in. I get that. So going back, uh, so early days, you started, you set up uh, a company, you got a few customers, you started mm-hmm. hiring staff. It's It became so, a b- business process, uh, autom- no, not business process automation. It was any anything and everything in software development to automate, to streamline processes.
1: Correct. So at that time, it was not much to do with processes. It was more to do with just purely bespoke software applications. So we started off with financial accounting, then we would do some payroll accounting or whatever. But by 1987, I realized that most of the developers who were working with me were getting sick and tired of doing the same financial accounting system. Because once you write the backbone of a financial accounting system, then all you are doing is changing the customer's name on top or putting the address or whatever. So then it's become repetitive, right? And anything that is repetitive is boring. So I changed again. This is, again, trying to be on the in the front of the bus. I decided that I will go to my customers and I will say, look, guys, we are doing financial accounting for you, but would you like that we did financial accounting and payroll and inventory control and cost control and everything else with you Okay, and you can pay us by the modules that we develop and we deliver to you. And they said so fine. You are fine. talking
0: about ERP mindset before the Thank ERP you. ERP packages came, or those ERP packages was already existing at that no.
1: time. ERPs came into existence in mid nineties. I see. We are talking about ERP style software development in mid eighties. Okay. So yes, so we got that opportunity. And and again, that is how the business started to flourish again, basically, right? So the business was, was how should I put it? Uh, we got interviewed by companies like DataQuest and PCQuest. And of course, we were shortlisted in the top 20 uh, companies. At that time, DataQuest used to run a campaign that every year they would have the top 20 companies To be listed in their news magazine so i think we we were there for almost four years consecutively as top 20 companies so this is the only thing which has actually kept me alive and kept me kicking because i i consider myself to be a uh, a thinker and i try to to create a solution which is going to work for the customers and eventually then we start Giving those to the to them even and, before anybody else thinks. And
0: you are talking of all these things. You are still in twenties.
1: My my age.
0: Yeah. Still in, <laughs> this this whole uh, the shift from uh, software development to ERP style of uh, business. When you were doing, you were still in twenties.
1: That's right. Yes.
0: So as young entrepreneur. Idea was, because you were in forefront, it doesn't look like you have issues getting customers because they really needed it and you were able to provide the solution. What kind of challenges as a young entrepreneur you were having in early five days, say five years, first five years of your business?
1: One of the biggest challenges I had was uh, retaining my employees and my programmers. Okay. And I don't blame them because, you know, when again, Most of my employees were similar to my age, a few years younger than me. And they were also equally enthusiastic about growing their career and the professional profiles and all. So what I had done was I had tied up with NIIT. Okay. NIIT had just come up as a training institute. Yes. So I would go out and pick up their fresh graduates. I see. Okay. So I would bring them up as interns. I would train them. And then when they were trained in six months or nine months time, then they would start looking around for their jobs. Mm, mm, so, yeah. so I then changed my business uh, profile and I said, okay, I'll still continue with an IIT. Okay. But at the same time, I will ensure that I will continue to give them raises so that I could retain them. Nothing right. bad. So that was one of the biggest challenges because you see, when somebody who's doing programming for you leaves, then in in those days, there was nothing like, are you documenting your IP or your code <laughs> is being documented or whatever. There was nothing like that, right? right. So they would take away everything with them. And mm. then I would have to sit with the next guy to come in and, and say, okay, where did where do we start? You know, take out 25 pages of code to find out exactly what was written and what it meant. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> So what was the next uh, uh, stage of your business? So you were building the ERP solutions for companies. And obviously, when you succeed with one customer uh, through referral or through word of mouth, you get next one. Did you have to really do any marketing or it was pretty much get known because of the work that you did?
1: I think it was more about the network that we created over there. right? right? And also it was word of mouth. Uh, a lot of our customers came to us because uh, they knew somebody who had used us and they were very happy with us. Right. So we worked very closely with the German community in India, in New Delhi at that time. So one of my first customers was a company called Indo-German Investment Promotion uh, Service. And we helped them with their software tools and they were so impressed with what we had done that they started to recommend us to other um, Indo-German NGOs uh, in, in Delhi, basically. And suddenly we found a flurry of these companies where we were working and with no marketing effort, no money spent.
0: So the learning here is uh, you do a good job and uh, keep growing your network
1: because Absolutely.
0: marketing will not really help because nobody is going to invest heavy money in you just because you did good marketing. The trust factor is key, and that comes only through the work that you have already delivered, and somebody is able to willing to watch for you.
1: Absolutely, and being a subject matter expert also helps. Right. You know? right. so fast forward 35 years sitting in Australia and of course sitting in this pandemic that we are in how do you go out and market yourself you're sitting at home you don't know who to, to contact or whatever so one way of attracting your customers to you is give enough informative content onto your website onto social media that will attract people and say who is this guy I want to talk to him because he is actually addressing my pain point
0: Definitely. I am seeing that part-time and it's equally important for employees also to do that. So we'll touch upon that a little later. I want to know what's your next evolution. So now you're getting used to doing the ERP kind of work. What's your next evolution?
1: So next evolution was that at that time I was married to an Australian and we were living in India. And of course, eight years of marriage and two children, and I want to get I want to leave the country. So I decided that I will apply for a PR, and which is what I did in ninety-eight. But coincidentally, there was an American company who was into ERP. Okay. And they wanted to partner with us in India. So I told them, I said, yes, we can partner, but I already have a plan to leave the country. So what they said was the the arrangement was that they will partner with us eventually we will merge with each other they will buy me out and then when i come to australia i would help them set up their business in australia as well so they were yeah so they were they were backed by uh, venture capital mm. so they had the money but seemingly between the time they bought my business and the time i came to australia their vc funding had failed And they decided not to pursue in Australia. So hence, I had to find myself a job. So that was my next evolution. Sold the business in India in 98 and moved to Australia.
0: So 98, 99 is when you moved to Australia.
1: 99, yes.
0: And you were already married to an Australian. So did that help you in any way in settling in Australia?
1: Kind of, yes, because obviously she knew the local environment. However. It did not much. Uh, it did not help as much as perhaps anybody would think, because she had lived out of the country almost eight years, right? You mm. know, and in the eight years, a lot of things had happened within Australia. Yeah. Mm. For a simple thing like when when we were in India, and I had I was running my own business. Of course, there was no time. You know, so I would be home by seven o'clock. At times, I would be home by ten o'clock. Right. And her biggest grouse was that oh. You know in Australia, people don't work you know so many long hours. <laughs> yes. you know what I mean okay. right yeah so when i when we started living over here and my first job, so we were still up at Central Coast, and I used to travel all the way from Central Coast to Glebe, which is where the office was, right. it would take me about one and a half hours each way okay right. so by the time I would hit home it would about it would be about nine o'clock at night and I would leave at six in the morning mm. So one weekend we were having this conversation and uh, I was telling her father that this is what she was telling me. And he says, she's been out of the country for too long. Things have changed, <laughs> okay, I Things have changed over here. Mm-hmm. And when I, was, when I started working at Aspect Computing, which was the last uh, full-time paid employment I had, people used to come at six o'clock in the morning. The managing director himself came at six in the morning. My direct manager used to come at seven in the morning, and we used to come at seven in the morning. And we would never leave before six or seven in the evening.
0: Seriously, you're talking about 99.
1: Yes, I'm talking about 99 2000. Okay. So people had in Australia, especially in big cities like Sydney and Melbourne, had started working long hours. Mm. Okay. So it's not that, you know, it, Australia used to be a nine to five kind of a country. And in many cases, in, in many cities, it still happens if you go to rural towns that about five o'clock in the evening, you will find it's like a ghost. Town. Mm-hmm. Because everybody's at home, they're preparing their dinners, they want to relax with the families, but not in Sydney, not in Melbourne.
0: So when you landed here in 1999, I want to get some perspective on uh, uh, how was the mechanism for finding a job? Like things have changed a lot now. We are in 2021. And was there any challenge because of uh, different look and different accents? So how did you go about finding jobs?
1: Yes, it was there. Components of all of those that you talked about. So a good place to start looking for jobs was Sydney Morning Herald on the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Sydney Morning Herald and The Australian were two uh, newspapers where they used to advertise roles. So you look at the roles and then you start applying over there. And again... Uh, some of them were email driven so a lot of them were especially government jobs you had to put them into a uh, into an envelope and, and put a stamp on it and send it to them
0: my god okay. so you were an entrepreneur and you were you came in here and you started to find a job how, what role would you put i mean this you, you were like everything you were running a business so how? give me that as a perspective how did you go about finding a job
1: yeah, so I was looking for project manager roles because that is where I thought I could fit the best. I could not, I, I did not think that I could immediately come and do a management role in the country. So I started applying for project management roles. And that's what I said, you know. So companies like Telstra, and I traveled all the way to Canberra for it, you know, countries like Zurich. Uh, companies like Zurich and 3M basically they are the ones who invited me over for interviews and I'm not lying to you first interview we like you second interview we like you third interview we don't want to know who you are
0: oh, okay. and why, why is that
1: because i did not have any local experience
0: ah i see okay. so, so australia
1: australia was and to a to a large extent it was still a very conservative country and and my theory is that for so many years Australia was one continent at the bottom of the world, basically, where nobody wanted to go. Okay. And again, Australians were happy with that because that is what their domain was. And their life was all about an easy go lifestyle. You know, uh, Friday afternoon, you kick off work, go to the pub, have a few beers, have lunch and go back home to the family. Right. The weekend was nothing but going to the beach and tanning yourself. Yeah. Okay. So, when, so the year that I arrived over here, the good thing for me was there were three things happening simultaneously. Why 2 k was hitting the world, yes. okay, to the $6 billion industry worldwide, yes. okay. And what were they looking for? COBOL programmers, right, trying to pick them up from their graves, okay. The next thing that happened in Australia was the GST. So the entire thing and all the businesses had to convert uh, from the previous financial system to include GST. Right. GST was introduced in 2000 in Australia.
0: 2000, okay.
1: Yeah. And the third thing that was happening was Olympic 2000 was being held in Sydney. That's right. Right? Three things. And they were all big, big, big events. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the fourth big event that was happening at that time was the decision whether we should be a republic or a monarchy.
0: It was happening in 2000, is it? Yes. Interesting.
1: Yeah. So all these things were happening at the same time, right? And I still remember that visual basic programmers, and I'm sure you, it will shock you, were, being, were in so much of a demand at that time, and there was not enough supply within Australia. There were all these recruitment firms bringing them by drones to Australia. And you know how much they were charging? $125 an hour for a visual <laughs> basic programmer. Okay. And, and where, then where?
0: Where were they bringing it from? India. Oh, from India itself.
1: Okay. A- so you, you the, were
0: observing all these things and you were applying for a project management job. Did you get one? Or I did you not.
1: Didn't get? No, I did not. Absolutely not. So you how know? do
0: you settle yourself?
1: Well, so I eventually went back to the recruitment company who was trying to help me. Find myself a job. And I sat with the managing director and I said, I want this job. And he said, Yeah, I can give it to you, but you don't have any local experience. And I said, That's what you and I are fighting right now. So he said this to me that for the first three months, I'll give you $3,000 a month. Hmm. Fourth month, if you don't bring $20,000 for the company, you don't get anything. Hmm. So I looked at him and I said, Okay, so what if I bring more than $20,000 after the third month. Hmm. And he said, we will talk at that time. And I said, fine. Hmm. So it took me one month to understand their internal tools and systems and everything else. And I could understand their processes. Second month, I gave them $22,000 worth of business.
0: Which
1: third means, month, uh,
0: Which was bringing people from locally or from India?
1: Locally. No, no, no. Okay. This is all locally, basically. Okay. So the way it used to work is that My role involved interviewing people, Mm. understanding what their core strengths was, matching it up with the customer's requirement, and then sending these candidates across to them Mm. for interviews. Mm. You
0: you, you were an entrepreneur. You hired and fired so many people, so you already knew it so well.
1: That is exactly what I told him. I said, I have been on the other side of the table, and I know... That I have used recruitment firms in India. So I know exactly how you operate. And I also know exactly what I would be wanting as a customer. Yes. So it, I can actually be the right conduit. Yes. Anyway, so supposedly my KPIs were to send eight resumes per job. Okay. Okay. And I refused to do that. Why okay. is that? Because I... I Said I told myself that if I send a customer eight resumes, what am I doing for them? Right. You
0: know, it I makes mean, sense. Yeah. yeah. At, at the, the end only... of the
1: day, if he's going to pay me, I've got to do some quality job. Of yeah, him, that right?
0: wasn't really the right KPI. Right KPI exactly. was uh, customer acceptance.
1: Absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. So for every job, I used to interview the candidates and I would uh, identify their skills and see if it matches with the customer's requirements, and then I would send them two candidates and somehow the success rate was such that one of the two candidates would be hired by the mm. customer mm. okay so i was trying to do less work but do more quality, quality work, work so that i can have more time to interview more people to try and see if i can fit in more uh, candidates into jobs and that's how i got my success factor mm. so after three months, we sat down together and he decided to give me $60,000 a year mm. guaranteed. Mm. Okay. So at least then I was carrying home $5,000 a month. Mm. Right. So that was my first break. And he agreed to give me 5% commission on every dollar I brought in. So you but were
0: kind of getting back into your entrepreneurship a little bit.
1: I had to use it. To my advantage, yet yeah. I had to use it in such a way that it was also advantageous to them.
0: Definitely. Mm. So how long did you work in recruitment company? Nine months. Nine months. And yeah. then, then what?
1: Then I moved to my first IT job, which was in sales, but it was a company called Praxa Limited. Praxa is now disintegrated completely, basically, but I was there only for six months. Yeah.
0: And how did uh, you get that job? I'm very keen to understand. So, uh, I applied key...
1: for that job. Okay. <laughs> All right. I almost got rejected at that job. And because I come from India and people thought that I did not speak their language and I did not understand how they would want me to do the work. So, I applied for that role and I did not hear from them. So, a week later, I called up the reception. And I said, can I speak to the general manager? And she said, what's it all about? And I said, I had applied for a role and I just wanted to check with him. So her response, as always, is and should be, if you have not heard from them or from us, that means you are not shortlisted. And I said, would you mind if you can ask him to speak to me, even if it is for five minutes? Somehow he came on the line. So my, Statement to him was, I had applied for this role. I understand you've not shortlisted me, which is fine with me. The only thing that I'm asking is, perhaps if you can spend half an hour with me, and that's all I'm asking. It could be a waste of half an hour, or it might be half an hour that you would have well invested. And somehow he it changed his mind. He said, Okay, come over, I'll see you for half an hour. And that half an hour that he spent with me was then transferred to the project director who interviewed me and then another manager who interviewed me and they gave me an offer.
0: So what's the learning here? I can see a very distinct advantage or not a distinct advantage, a strategy that you used. You knew your worth and you knew that half an hour you could Articulate or you know pitch it in the right way why you could be valuable for them. That's all you would have done. You would not have That's said, all. sir, please give me the job because I really need I need to run my no. family. You don't need no. to do that, and no. you can't really get anything like that. So, what did you That's do in that half an hour?
1: It's a perseverance, basically. So in the half an hour that I was there with him, he asked me a lot of questions. And of course I answered those questions as I should, basically, and, and in in all diligence that I could basically. The objective was like this, that they were looking for a BDM, okay? They were looking for a BDM who could actually work with Microsoft and who could actually grow their business in the Microsoft space. So I don't remember the entire conversation because, again, it's 20 years back. But um, the way I could convince him was I could articulate enough knowledge of Microsoft technologies to start with, okay? I could enough also articulate enough sales capabilities for me to be accepted, and once he saw that I was enthusiastic enough and I had, if I may use, the the grant to go out and get the business, he wanted to make sure that he was not making the wrong decision. Right? So he then put me onto a project director, and that guy interviewed me, and he was happy with that, and of course from there things fell into place.
0: Yes. When you asked for that half an hour Sunil did you have something in mind like what you are going to do to impress upon you really wanted that job is it
1: Yeah absolutely yes yeah. I wanted to I wanted to have my first job in the IT space in the IT industry
0: And yes. was it you wanted in sales or you doesn't matter just get in the industry was the goal
1: Yeah look over the years in India the the skills that I had honed in were not so much development skills because I left development many years back, right? Right. but the skills that I had developed while I was running my own business was A, operations and right. B, sales. Absolutely. Because I was the only one who was going out to customers, you know, presenting to them, pitching to them and everything else. And of course, running the operations in the back end. So for me to find a job, I think, the best suited job for me in australia was a sales job where i could go out and and talk to customers and and convince them to buy our products and services
0: right that's uh, really important and uh, you shared some insight about how to really go about a job Uh, you go with clarity you should have some sort of strategy you should have clarity of what you can offer rather than mm-hmm. I, need, I need that job. So I got <laughs> a few ideas from there. So you And of course, like-
1: also perseverance. You know, a lot of times we lose hope because we did not hear from anybody. I have heard this, that people have applied for roles they have, and of course recruitment agencies. They find for one role, they will have 500 people apply for the same role because everybody's hungry for the role, right? You know, for the job. But if you step back and just think that okay if they if i've not heard from them that means i'm not selected that might not be the right thinking or thought process because again having worked with the recruitment agency as a recruitment agent i knew that there were so many applications that came to me and i did not have the time to look at every application or everyone, because, you know, once you are at the bottom of the pile, you are at the bottom of the pile, right? Even mm. though you may be the best candidate for that particular role. Mm. So unless and until you do talk to the recruitment agent, and that is your, I call the recruitment agent as your as the gatekeeper to the actual company, right? right? And they, they ensure that they become the gatekeeper, right? So mm. if you're not able to talk to them and convince them and mm. at least give them good reasons for them to interview you, Then you're losing the bus straight
0: away there. Definitely. So now you are in sales in Australia and you would probably be one of the very few brown-colored guys in sales, I guess, if it is you're talking about 2000.
1: There were less people over there. You're right. Yes, correct.
0: And do you have any experience which was like, okay, I need to really change the game because I have a disadvantage because...
1: Yeah, look, there are some examples I can give. Once again, being an Indian, you know, I thought that, you know, if you push the customer hard enough, they will eventually give you uh, an audience.
0: Which is not the case Um, here at all.
1: No, I tried to reach out to a legal firm. There was a prospect and got through somebody's email and I wrote him an email and he, he very nicely responded back to me by saying that look we are not interested at this moment reach out to us in a few months time Mm. was i the one who was going to give up no right (laughs) so i started writing emails started writing emails started writing emails eventually he came back to me and he says if you don't stop i'm going to report you to your manager Mm. right and then i then suddenly that 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 light bulb went out and i said (laughs) i shouldn't be doing this Mm. and i think The the other thing that I want to also share with you is that this is exactly what we should be doing. We should not bring our culture into a new country and try to modulate us in that same fashion because we have to adjust to the new environment. And this was my learning curve. It took me about three years to, a steep learning curve to understand how Australians really reacted to the way you approach them.
0: And and what's the final outcome in there? So is it uh, more of a relationship and uh, trust-based way of working? Or what's the difference that you see the way we work in Australia, especially in sales environment versus in US or in India?
1: Trust and building the level of confidence with them. Okay, whatever you commit, you deliver. A lot of people, and I will not say people from India, basically, but a lot of people have this habit of over committing and under delivering, right? It may work once, it may work twice. I mean, but
0: you see, the, again, it's cultural. The way we have been brought up in the Indian IT industry is don't say no. Exactly. So we may not want to overcome it, but at the same time, we don't know how to say no.
1: Yeah. I think you you touched upon a very, very important aspect over here. I used to do some cultural training or cross-cultural training. Okay. In here, in Australia, is it? In Australia, yeah. And and this was a time when a lot of Australian companies were exploring Indian IT for outsourcing. Outsourcing, okay. And when they would go to India and see the sweatshops in India and they, were, they would come back home so impressed. You know, Sunil, people are working from 7 o'clock to 7 o'clock over there and they are doing such a wonderful job. You know what? I'm thinking of bringing 10 of those people to Australia, giving them a very good lifestyle over here and if they can work 10 hours over here, that will be fantastic. Yeah. Guess what? When they would come to Australia, nothing of love that would happen. Okay. Because because in India we have a lot of support systems okay a mother or a mother-in-law is looking after the children right there is a a servant or a a housekeeper who'll come home before you come home Mm. will chop all your vegetables Mm. prepare everything for you all you have to do is cook basically Mm. when you come home and Mm. in a lot of places you have help who will come and cook as well and Mm. clean and wash Mm. and everything else Mm. so if you're spending 12 hours in the office, you are actually doing that because you don't have anything to come back to, to back home, right? Mm-hmm. But over here, there are no households.
0: That's right. right.
1: There is no mother, there is no mother-in-law. So you yeah. got to vacuum, you got to clean, you got to uh, cook, you got to wash, everything. So where's the time for that? That's and when then you grocery,
0: said, uh, grocery as well, Sunil. there uh, exactly. the housekeepers do the grocery as well for us. Yes,
1: correct, exactly. And if if not, you just pick up the phone, call up the the corner shop, and say, they "Can deliver. you deliver this?" You know,
0: yeah, I remember. And everything
1: that. comes home. So that is the big difference. And talking about the no part of it, absolutely spot on. Whenever I used to go to India, and I'm sitting in an office, uh, and every time it would be in the you know corporate room. And the CEO is sitting over there, and then he calls in all these people, the PMs and everybody else, and he comes and says, meet Mr. Sunil, you know, okay, he's come from Australia and he's looking for blah, blah, blah. And I would say, okay, so can you guys do this in a week's time? And their answer was, if you think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you think so, okay. We will give it a try, but uh, we can't really guarantee
1: anything. Correct, yeah. No. But the thing was, as you said, they don't have a habit of saying no.
0: Okay. Yeah, no is like a disrespect.
1: Correct. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So if you think so, we will try. But that was their way of saying it can't be done. And if I did not hear it correctly, then I will come home and I will say, okay, they'll do it in a week's time. And a yeah. week later, nothing was done.
0: Yeah, I think that's, uh, I'm not sure if we have overcome that mindset uh, yet. In here, if I somebody says, can you do it by next weekend or next week? And if the answer is, I'm not sure, I'll say, doesn't look like, let me work through it and I'll come back to you. But I can't Absolutely. really commit right now. Correct. But uh, in the Indian IT environment, we can't dare to say that. Two, two things running in my mind. What will my manager say? And what will my customer say? I can't exactly. disappoint both of them.
1: Absolutely right. And, Absolutely right. Yeah.
0: I think it's time we get that in our mind that saying no is not disrespect. Hmm. Actually it's a better respect of saying no and avoiding the pain which could completely jeopardize the business for you know years to come.
1: I agree 100% and I think it's you're right it's better to say no now than to be caught up in some controversy later on you know yes. because Australians will not forgive you if you've done something wrong by them. And I think that is one of the biggest bans of this commercial society.
0: That's right. So let's get on to your next evolution. I have quite liked your story of starting in a job, then looking for opportunity, being early in the the bus so that you have that early advantage. You came here, you started with a job, lots of learning in there, the way you have uh, tried finding job, got into a job which was not really the job you wanted. And this is another point I learned here. A lot of people, if I'm a programmer, I will look for a programmer job. If I'm a project manager, I will look for a project manager job. So what do you want to do in life? Oh, maybe I want to become a CEO one day, but mm-hmm. are you willing to take a sales role? Oh, no, no, no. That would be so difficult. I'm not, yeah. I don't think I'm a sales. So we have all these limitations already uh, put on us. Rather than looking at a a role as a work, can I really, with all the skills and experiences we have, can I push myself to do that, which will help me? in Those those are the, I think another thing, Sunil, is Mm -hmm. I was never taught or I did not find that kind of guidance or mentorship where I could learn this way of thinking. Sure. Because my boss and my Mm -hmm. boss's boss and my boss's boss's boss, everybody is in the same mindset and thinking. Absolutely. How would you learn the entrepreneurial mindset in a corporate world when three, four layers uh, above you is also thinking the same?
1: Yeah. So that is the big difference between being a manager and being a leader. Okay. Manager is always trying to protect his or her job and does not want you to take over the job. So they will not teach you all the steps in the ladder.
0: Scarcity is driving their, as the <laughs> leadership, so uh, I understand that. So what did you do next? You did sales for uh, Praxa. Praxa is the company name you Correct. said, which yeah. doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So you did sales for a while, and then what?
1: So yeah, so I was there for about seven months. And in seven months' time, I had built enough networking within Microsoft So starting with partner account manager to technical account manager to evangelists and everybody that I I would, I was literally sitting there three times a week at at Microsoft office. I had this many cards from different people in Microsoft. And what that did for Praxa, Microsoft started sending us leads. And one of the biggest projects that we did was, I think at that time it was $2.5 million project. It was a B2B e-commerce project. Don't, don't question me why $2.5 million, because the same thing can be done in half, in, in $2,000 or whatever in today's world. <laughs> but technology was so expensive at that time. Right. See, licensing was costly. So we did everything in .NET with Bistock server and IIS and everything else, basically. And the customer was really happy. But... Praxa was going through a lot of financial challenges at that time, and they brought in a new CEO, I think he came from Deloitte, and his objective was to try and bring the company into black, from red, Mm. okay? And one of the things which I learned living in a first world country was how do CEOs bring a company from red to black is actually cut down the cost of human resources,
0: do you see is the right approach? or Nope, it's not, not the right all, approach
1: at all. So in his own wisdom, he decided to reduce 200 employees across the country. And I was one of the first 200 to go because I was less than a year in the company and they could actually ask me to leave by giving me just a one month's notice.
0: But they did not look at uh, the value that you were bringing in.
1: He talked to me about it. He talked to me about the value i brought. And look, uh, my interview with him was such that he said, Sunil, you're doing a fantastic job and I'll make sure that you are here for a long time. And then two weeks later, on a Friday, I was called into a boardroom and some somebody from HR was there and, and a manager was there basically. And all they said was, we're sorry to say that we have to say goodbye to you. You can go back to your room. And collect all your personal items and you can leave. That is it. And and for me, coming from a country like India, I'd never ever come across a redundancy like this. And for me it was a personal shock. And I said,
0: It is. It is an ego. What is this? you kind of your whole self-esteem gets crushed because we're coming from the background that we have been brought up, we take it so personally on our capability.
1: Absolutely right, right, you know, right. And, and especially when I was doing good in the company, when yeah. I brought them good business in the company, and I think the relationship that I built with Microsoft, everything was looking good. You know, I was doing the right thing by them, which is exactly why they wanted me to be there in the first place. But I think the reason why I got shunted was not because I was doing good, but because I was there for less than a year, and they could actually easily get rid of me could because least. at that time redundancy packages were. Uh, one month of salary for every year that you worked. Hmm. So people who were there for 10 years, they were not asked to leave immediately because they would be paid 10 months of salary, basically. But the good thing for me was that almost two months before this happened, a company called Aspect Computing was already knocking at my door for me to join them. Because of all the work that I had done at at Praxa with Microsoft, and they wanted me to replicate the same thing with them, and I was knocking them back because I really seriously wanted to work with this IT company for at least five years to make my branding and to make my myself sunk in over there. But when things did not happen, I approached these guys, and I think within seventy-two hours I was working with them.
0: Awesome. Hmm. So, so you yeah. you joined there again as a sales uh, person and you correct
1: yeah yeah and, uh, but this how... time it was not more it was not so much as a hunter role it was more as a farmer role right so they gave me about 10 companies 10 large financial institutions to look after and i found some additional work for them i was i think one year when i was there i was awarded the out of the box sales thinker
0: Though you were in farming, not really into hunting, um, yeah, you kinda, you were yeah. constantly growing the revenue. You. And you definitely had those creativity because you had experience of running your own business. So you were on your feet for a long time in India before you started doing all these things. Did you ever feel at any point in time, you know, I was an entrepreneur, I was running this show back home and here I'm struggling. Sometimes I'm doing recruitment jobs. Sometimes I'm getting into sales and getting retrenched. And then I'm an account manager, which is like a one tenth of what I was doing. Did you ever have those kind of feelings uh, throughout this journey?
1: At times, yes, but I think the, the, the world was moving so fast for me that I did not have the time to sit back and think about all those things. Yes, there were moments when I would say, "What? why am I doing this and why not something else? But I think you need to find the right time and the right opportunity for it, which is what I found in 2001, 2002. Mm-hmm. And the good thing was that September 11 had just happened. The whole world was actually shutting down because of the terrorist attack and Australia, again, being one of those countries where something else happens anywhere else, they just shut their doors to everything. So I decided to resign from Aspect Computing and set up my own business. And what I, again, talking about being in the front of the bus. So when I was working at Praxa and at Aspect Computing, i had learned enough about the Australian businesses and commercial landscape. Mm. So whilst Australian companies were adopting technology at a very fast rate, their processes were very archaic. They were written almost 25, 30 years back. And Mm. every conversation I had with people in companies, it was like this, literally, this is quote unquote. uh, So how long have you been working here? Oh, about 15 years. So, and how did you get these processes? Or oh, the guy before me, he set the processes up and I'm just following those processes. Mm. I'm saying, how, how long was that guy working over there? I don't know, maybe about 20 years. Right. Mm. So, you know, you start adding up the numbers and 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, the processes were written, mm. especially when their companies were buying those huge green uh, monitors basically (laughs) (laughs) okay and and fast forward when people are working on laptops right they were still using those same processes okay so that's what gave birth to my new business idea and i say this to a lot of people that at that time when i set up my business i decided not to be in the it space okay because everybody the color of my skin was in it space Mm. So again, had I gone into IT development or IT applications or whatever, I would have landed up at the back of the bus Mm. like everybody else. Mm. So when I started doing business process improvement, it was new. And yes, it was a struggle to get through the mindset of the customers. But once we got through them, they were really very happy with what we were doing for them, basically, and that then evolved into lean and six sigma and Shingo consulting and everything else because it was not only about workflow workflow processes. It was then change management. It was about psyches and everything else, and of course, business was growing.
0: So, in the early days of setting up your business uh, uh, process optimization, uh, so to speak. Did you get help in finding customers because you had already understood the landscape while working with those companies and with Microsoft? You had enough connections? Or how did you yeah. go about uh, finding your first customers in your new yeah. business?
1: By the time I had enough connections, okay? And look, the company Aspect Computing, they were supporting me as well. No? So
0: oh, that's uh, once
1: again, because of the work that I'd done with them, when I set up my first ABN, I went back to them and I said, what do I do with you guys? And they said, okay, bring us some business. Okay. So it was not a, it was not a, a disconnection that we had with each other. Basically, you know, yep. I, I left on, on good terms mm. and I left with my own reasons. Mm. So, and, and even now, of course, Aspect is also sold, mm. but I still meet with the managing director of the company. That's, part of, Telstra.
0: That's part of Telstra now, is it?
1: Yeah. So Aspect got sold to a company called Cash computing Cas computing. Mm got sold to Telstra. Then mm. Telstra started to disband all these smaller businesses. Mm. And that's the end.
0: Mm. It's all gone. So, <laughs> so, yeah. The yeah. Name name doesn't exist. So you have been doing the business uh, process optimization. You've been in that space for almost, almost 18, 19, 20 years now.
1: About, no. So 2015 is when 2015. I got an opportunity to exit from that business. From 2002 to 2015,
0: 15, sorry. So almost 13 uh,
1: 11, 13 years, yeah, correct. Right. So and in probably, 2015, uh, I had offices in India and Philippines and somebody wanted to buy my India operations and I said, no, if you want to buy the overseas operations, then you've got to buy both the operations. So they went to Philippines, they had a look at the projects and everything that we were doing and they made an offer, I made them a counter offer and then eventually we took did a handshake. And 2015, so the overseas businesses were gone but I continued with the Australian ABN.
0: So what was your uh, the intention behind uh, selling your business? Because you got an offer or you wanted to go
1: easy? I wanted to get into my retirement shoes, basically. Okay. But okay. somehow it did not work with me. Okay. Uh, mm. I think I believe I still have a lot to give. But... Retaining the Australian ABN and also retaining the titles of my business, I can still run, I can still operate as a Kiko. Mm
0: -hmm. So last five, six years, you have been more of a consultant, is it? I remember you you talked about earlier uh, when I talked to you last time, you said you are helping companies... Uh, come and settle in Australia. So that's another thing you are doing. So you are a one person consultant today, or you're still having a team?
1: Uh... I have my team of consultants from the previous years, you okay. know, and they still connect with me. So at times I use them. So, what again, what I have learned again through observations is if you are a TCS or if you are a HCL or if you are a Wipro, you got deep pockets, right? So you can come to a country like Australia, and even if it doesn't work for the first one year, two years, three years, you still can survive. Okay, But if you're a mid-sized IT outsourcing firm from India, and if you want to set yourself up over here, the first thing that they want to do is do it themselves. Right. So one of their founding directors will start living over here or travel every three months to Australia. And then they realize that, oh, this is too expensive and this is not working. And then they lose hope and then they go back. So what I thought of doing was because I've lived here, because I understand the commercial environment over here, I, I started offering my services to these companies, whether they're overseas, whether it is India or Philippines or Vietnam, to find their feet in Australia. So the entire setup, market entry and then of course helping them with the market penetration finding the right uh, verticals or industries where their products and services would sell and then help them do the business growth basically right? Mm. So set up a team for them over here and once the team is set and they all know exactly what needs to be done then of course part of my job is to exit from there
0: that's fantastic so I want to now uh, get into this thought process of being early in the bus so you have seen This environment for almost 20 years now, and you have had progression. And every time you saw a new opportunity coming in, and you jumped in. So, in early days, you talked about getting into. Uh, stock exchange because you saw an opportunity there. Then you saw ERP style of business, so you got in there. You when you came in here, you saw processes are pretty old, so you got into process optimization. Then because you had good experience here, though you kind of got into retirement mode, mm-hmm. but uh, you thought there's a lot you could give through your experience, so you started to help companies settle here. Mm. Now, if we look at in technology world or in IT world or anything based on your entrepreneurial experience so far, what are the different early stage areas that you see as an opportunity? If you had to start a business fresh, what are the different areas that you would look at?
1: Today, data is becoming very, very important for organizations. And a lot of organizations are struggling because they don't know how to collate that data to bring about intelligent information for them, okay? So whilst we have come a long way from the times that every every data source was actually inside the company, right, to now where uh, 90% of the your data source is not inside the company. It is actually outside the company. Yeah. Sitting on social media. Yeah. Sitting on the wide network, yeah. right? Yeah. How do you collect the data? How do you find customer sentiments? How do you go out and then approach those customers to become your loyal customers, right? Today, loyalty is not something that you can buy. So let's take an example, and I will put this question to you. Do you always shop at Kohl's? Or do you always shop at Woolworths? Or do you always shop at Harris Farms? I have no yes. loyalty. Exactly, right? So wherever you will get something good, something different, something that you need, you will go there. Right? Yeah, I
0: mean, there are different reasons. Sometimes it's cost, sometimes also, it's convenience, sometimes it's just the timing. You are in a place where you see coals and you're not really thinking, okay, where is Woolworths because I like it and I'm happy to drive another three kilometers. Exactly. No more, that's not mindset at all.
1: Isn't it right? So that's what's happening, basically. So how do you build that loyalty? That's one part of it. But data sciences as a as as a business service is something which not a lot of companies are offering. And I think that's where the marketplace is. That's but, what uh, Sunil, customers... I've
0: been. I've been hearing this conversation for over five years now. I know. <clears throat> and you are seeing. You say it's still in its infancy. Is it?
1: Yeah. Sure is. Okay. So. What what a lot of organizations are uh, w- touching upon is just scratching the surface. Mm. Okay, data science is much more deep than just doing an analysis or just assimilating data from different disparate sources and bringing it into a let's say a database and creating some ETLs and and spitting it out basically into a nice dashboard. And
0: that's okay. very it's much
1: basic. more than that. Okay.
0: So you're saying there is an opportunity there, but do we have an understanding of what outcome we could produce? And do we have that kind of uh, skills in the market to hire those people to create those outcomes and solutions?
1: Skills are there. Universities and, and teaching institutions like University of New South Wales, even UTS, they're offering data sciences courses. Why? because they know that there is an opportunity and there is a demand eventually that's going to 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 flare up, basically, right? So they are already starting to offer these courses. And there are lots of people. In fact, only a couple of weeks back, I got an, uh, a resume of somebody who's also from an Indian origin looking for a job and it's in data sciences.
0: Mm. Can you uh, think of a couple of companies whom you really appreciate how they are using the data uh, science to create a unique value proposition in the market at this point in time?
1: Look, everybody is doing it, right? In their own format, basically. So I can't just pick and say, uh, you know, also something which will not come at the top of my mind, but they're all doing something or the other with data, right? Mm. Uh, Retail is definitely big on assimilating data, right? So they are are really out in the open and trying to collect that. But then there are companies... um, there are Martech companies I think uh, companies like telium for example right mm. uh, just to name one mm. okay that also helps companies like these to collect those data also to find out how your customers are approaching your website what are they looking for right so uh, a lot of automobile industries rely on these kind of data so today that now that we are all working in lockdown and now we're remotely working right still houses are being sold. So all the way from looking at the pictures of the house that you want to buy or you want to potentially buy a video and everything else to getting all the contracts, signing them up, going back and everything else. But this is the, this is the process, of course, right? But how are they attracting these people? Okay. Mm-hmm. So there are tools available which help companies find out that if you were on my website okay, were you looking at Mazda 3 or were you looking at Mazda 5 or whatever? And I can identify you as a prospective customer. Then I throw a bait at you, mm. right? You come to my workshop or to my um, car showroom mm. and I know who you are. And I say, by the way, son, I've got just the right car for you.
0: Got it. So it's all one space of uh, data collection, analysis, um, intelligence, These are all one space that you are hinting is still in its very early stage. So anybody who has that aspiration, who has that uh, uh, interest um uh, because that's also very important if you don't like an area and though because it's going to create money and you get in there you wouldn't be successful because you start to hate after some time so data is definitely you uh, know i i can see everything that you you said i already see it sometimes it becomes so annoying annoying what you get on your page There's so Absolutely much of advertisement right. yeah. coming and i said i have not even browsed that area and then I realized Facebook is also listening to me. Absolutely. Google is also listening to me. Absolutely. So Absolutely. because I talked about it somewhere, yeah. it's appearing on my page. And yeah. that was a scary. Uh, yeah. It was really all, scary.
1: All your news feed is based on the browser search that you do in the browser bar, right? So so you know, went...
0: That's still okay for me. I browsed. Uh, but I have not even browsed. And uh, there were some advertisement came, I don't remember right now. Uh, and I was like, I have never ever done any any Google of it. I have never ever gone to any website like this. Where did hmm. it come from? Hmm. You, might I realized, liked,
1: you might have liked somebody's no, post. No, so? no, no. Okay. I was
0: talking about it.
1: Ah, oh, there you go. So Alexa picked it up, or CD I don't picked know it up? whether
0: Google picked up <laughs> my my guess or my doubt or uh, uh, suspicion is either Google or Facebook, one of these mm. two picked up yeah. because I they also, they right. are also constantly listening. So you know Absolutely. you know those things are very scary. But anyway, in terms of uh, uh, opportunities, you look uh, definitely you look at data as an opportunity, and there are so many areas on that, and uh, quickly, uh, very quickly, if you can give me some thoughts on here a lot of mid-career professionals are stuck in their job. And we talked about all of those things. So I'm a project manager. So how can I do a different thing? And how can I pivot? Do you you have any thought on how can a mid-career professional, 30, 35-year-old, can pivot into this data area, whatever role they are doing? Do you see there is any way to pivot in that area?
1: I want to help quite
0: a lot of those people.
1: I understand. The first thing they have to do is look outside their comfort zone. Yeah, because one thing that goes against the grain of development and growth is when we become complacent with what we are doing, we become so, what should I ask the word, comfortable with what we're doing, Mm. right? And we don't want to do anything else. Mm. If you are in that state, you need to get out of the comfort zone. Mm. Okay. Uh, Whether you are a PM or you are a PD or you are mid-level, you know, rising up to a PM role or whatever, unless and until you start thinking outside the box, you will not get to where you want to be. So for a project manager, for example, what is the role of a project manager? Managing the project and its budget and its timelines and ensuring everything is done on time. So Mm -hmm. that is the thing. You manage a team of four. You manage a team of 40, whatever you do. And, and then, of course, doing the reporting to your managers about how the project is running and what needs to be done, whether you need to show iteratively to the customer or you need to show at the end of the customer, right? Mm. And again, between the times that I was running project to now, the project management methodologies have changed drastically. Right? Yeah, definitely. You know? So everything is now agile, mm. okay? from waterfall. <laughs> to whatever basically <laughs> to scrum. To mix
0: and everything and now yeah it's very <laughs> heavily agile focused Correct.
1: Right? Right. And, and the reason why it is agile is because now eventually the, the companies have started to realize that they have to be customer focused okay I think they need to get out of their comfort zone. That's the only That's
0: uh, thing that comes, that pops up in the mind. And it's not that uh, impossible to say, I'm a project manager running projects in finance. It's not that that challenging to start learning about data. And then through building right network and connections, I get into a project, which is all about doing this uh, analytics and then from yeah. there. So it's, it's two aspects of it. One is I acquire some knowledge, see what's happening. Then through my connections and networks, try to find out where I am. Whether I can get a project in data, if yes, great. If not, can I find an opportunity outside? And it's a, and it definitely is outside comfort zone. Sitting in where we are, it will not happen.
1: <clears throat> yeah. So, so g- growth, <throat> professional growth, comes either vertically or laterally. Throat> okay. Throat> now vertical growth is good because you are obviously going up the ranks, right? And and but when you're going up the ranks that you're not expanding your horizons into other areas all you're doing is it's it's a straight vision basically so i am in and finance i'll continue in finance and i'll continue growing up there today's
0: yeah. era i think that's hazardous that worked absolutely maybe right. 20 years back but uh, today it's hazardous if i'm absolutely. stuck in one area of what i'm doing for next uh-huh. 5 10 15 years uh, yeah. that's where i call i'm stuck now because exactly. i'm not seeing right. anything, anything else
1: so you are absolutely right about that and look Yes, about 20 years back, if you were a specialist at something, you were very well regarded because you were the subject matter expert at it, right? Today, people don't want only subject matter experts. Yes, they do. But all, they also want somebody who's a journalist as well, right? Mm. Who's got a slightly wider experience layer mm. because then they can use their experience layer for their own advantage.
0: But there's one challenge here, uh, Sunil, when it comes to an individual going out in the market to find job, uh, if he's not showing, say, 10 years of his specific experience or five years, the recruiter does not select uh, his or Mm -hmm. her profile. So on one side, we say that, oh, if you want to grow your career, you need to broaden your uh, uh, thinking, your experience. On the other side, when this individual goes for a job, they are looking for very specific skills. Do you see that, that being a challenge or it's just in mind, uh, individual's
1: mind? Okay, so to address that question or that statement, <clears throat> if you are jumping jobs every year, just because you can get some additional money in the new job, that does not count and and relate to a specific experience that you're gaining.
0: Mm.
1: Right? But if you stay in a company five years, for example, at a bare minimum, right, the experience you gain in that company, and again, let's say in only finance, for example, right? That can definitely go towards the recruiter looking at it and saying, Oh, you were in a bank for five years. Okay. That itself is a good experience. You know, people don't want to find you working 20 years in a company, mm. but definitely if you have a good solid five year consistent experience in a bank, for example, at Westpac, that counts for a good experience. And then you can translate that experience into CBA or wherever else, specifically.
0: I see. Okay. Apart from data, any other area, not only IT. See, you, you are a entrepreneur. In 35 years, 32, 33 years, you have been an entrepreneur. Mm. And even if you, when you say, oh, I sold my company, I wanted to be a little bit chilling and, mm. you know, retirement, I'm pretty sure it must be coming in front of you all the time. Oh, man, why people are not doing in this area? I see opportunity in that area. Data is one. What are the other areas you see opportunity right now? Not all, not only like people like you, uh, um, uh, Sunil. See, you've been an entrepreneur and you have that level of, uh, your mental muscles has been built to a level where you see an opportunity and you jump in and you will find your way. Most Mm. people are not built that way. If you look at uh, an employee life cycle, we are not built that way. So it it becomes very difficult Mm. to see an opportunity, get excited, Mm. get in there and succeed. Get excited, and then Monday morning comes. (laughs) Great. (laughs) So anyway, what are the other areas that you see as, as potential opportunity for people who are in job, they want to get out, do something, you know, willing to invest, say, three to six months to get something out there so they get the confidence and potentially they leave their job if they want to or, you know.
1: Look, I think it all boils down to your passion. It all boils down to what gets you up in the morning, okay? So I'll give you an example of somebody who I know. Um, He was in IT testing field, okay? Many years, and I think he was also in TCS, if I am not mistaken, right? Many years... He was doing testing and testing and testing you know he would be sent out to a customer side here and there and everything else and it was not that he was he was bad at it he was pretty good at it right yeah but it was getting into into his grind right and eventually he wanted to get away from it yeah so the first thing he tried was he left the job and started doing some small business applications for people okay when you like like mean, a contractor, like smaller businesses, smaller right? Smaller businesses. Go to a small store, for example, and and sell them a solution or something like that. So That's website, what website,
0: website, digital marketing correct. kind yeah. of. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay,
1: okay. Then eventually he realized that this is also not for him, hmm. and he got an opportunity or he saw an advert that Australia Post was looking for somebody to become a licensee for one of their stores.
0: Okay. I know what you're okay. talking about. Yeah. yeah.
1: He applied for it. He put the money into it. He got it. And I, I met him about a month back and I said, how's it going? He said, I am so happy. See, hmm. guy from an IT world goes out and actually opens up an Australia post shop, basically, you know, and he, He's a person who likes to see people come in right he's a people's person and he likes to uh, to delight them and mm-hmm. and he's finding absolutely the right fit for him okay and that's what gets him up in the morning he's, he's enjoying it and even though a lot of people in Australia post you know there was a time when businesses were going down right and Australia Post was not doing much well because you know, the whole business of Australia post being males, was finishing because people were sending each other emails and the courier business was not helping because there were other courier companies that were coming up and, and offering cheaper rates. So Australia Post reinvented itself and he seems to be very happy with that. So you need to find your passion. You need to really find where what is it going that's going to get you out of bed. And that's what you need to do.
0: Right? And there is uh, no way, there is no one way to find as well, right, Sunil? A lot of people get stuck on, I'm not sure what my passion is. And my thought on that is, as you gave the example, this guy put himself out. He started to look at the app development or digital marketing. Down the line, he realized it's it's not for him. Then he found another opportunity. The reason he saw that ad for uh, the, the licensee for Australia mm. Post, because he was in looking zone, right? Exactly. So right. once he decided that mm. I want to be on my own, he's constantly on move. It doesn't matter. Uh, exactly. what will click on the way but he knows for sure this is my journey now so i think in my mind it's the decision that okay i want to get out there yeah. i want to do something and you know with, with that that relentless uh, effort is required
1: true so- and look and the other thing is that people need to know and understand that every business venture that they want to start may not necessarily be a successful business venture hmm. you know and in richard branson's own words it takes at least 10 tries for you to get to the right business framework. And mm-hmm. this is what he did. He tried so many businesses when he was young, right? Mm-hmm. And suddenly one time it stuck and it worked for him. And mm-hmm. today he was in space, the first man to go to space. Right?
0: Yeah, I saw what a that. a joy
1: ride. It was. So, nice.
0: so you gave an so example was, of uh, the post uh, Australia post one, which was, I don't know if it is still lucrative enough. Is it still in the early? or the in the front seat of the bus? Or do you have any idea in that area?
1: So Australia Post has reinvented themselves, right? They realized that mail and couriering is not the only uh, business that they should be doing. So they went to banking. And I think their last CEO before Christine Holgate came on board was a guy called Ahmed Farooq. Ahmed Farooq came in from NAB and he was brought in predominantly to convert Australia Post into a banking institution.
0: Wow, this was new for me. It's interesting. Yeah, okay. So So, what about banking uh, services or products they are providing?
1: Well, they, they do everything under the sun, basically. So it's, especially a lot of older people, what they do basically is that they don't want to pay their bills online because they don't know how to pay their bills online. They get their paper copies of Energy Australia of Sydney water and the the rates bills and everything else and then they go to Australia Post and they say I want to pay this either in cash or buy a credit card so all of that business is basically generating them to, to get onto. to I think they're also doing deposits and all if I'm not mistaken
0: yeah I mean taking pictures and all little things passport and all of those things also true
1: exactly yeah you know, but there's I a know, lot
0: more than, uh, you know, yeah. uh, what I knew. That's very Correct. interesting, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sunil. Anything yeah. on the technology side, uh, going back to technology, because that's where we have lived and that's what we breathe and smell mm. and eat and drink everything. <laughs> Data is one. And how are things on the uh, other advancements, which is uh, the machine learning, the uh, robotics and uh, all of it? It's become issues. a buzzword. Yeah. A lot
1: of companies are already in that space, Right. But I don't see a lot of good companies in that space. Mm. So when you talk about things like RPA, AI, ML, right? You know, mm. These are all buzzwords which are being thrown around and confusing mm. the customer. Right? So mm. companies from Microsoft to to Amazon to Oracle to Google, they all talk about AI and ML, right? You know? mm. But I think what is going to change Australian mindset, especially in the new COVID environment, is creating an efficient workflow that does not cost them a lot of money so again taking a taking away the repetitive work right okay so bringing in robotics process automation right Mm. and and the good thing about rpa because i i relate to it in a way right so so one of the one of the, co, the the businesses that we started doing back in India and Philippines was outsourcing. So we were doing a lot of APAR consulting in Australia. Mm-hmm. So from 30 days of paying, we were bringing the customer down to seven days of paying. Right? Mm-hmm. There was a lot of struggle for that. Basically, they were not interested. They did not want to listen to us. But eventually, when we showed them the graph that we can bring them from 40% efficiency to 80% efficiency, drop their cost of operation down by 50%, suddenly, okay, you can't do this, right? (laughs) We would say, okay, give us an opportunity. And would what would lead to. And I have had so many customer conversations where we have brought them from 30 days payment to seven days payment. And the next question would be, can we reduce this even further? So we used to do we used to do process automation or robotic process automation by putting in some people in India, right? Mm. But now what they are doing is they are removing that also. By now, because technology has obviously come a long way, you know the OCR technology and ICR technology, which can actually look at numbers and text Mm. and actually decipher what it is. Mm. So all the repetitive work that happens in organizations. Mm. can be replaced by RPA, Mm. okay? Mm. And RPA is not there to take away people's jobs, basically. Mm. RPA is there to take away the redundant jobs,
0: basically. That's all. That's right. I get that. And see, the large organizations, as you know, Sunil is already, either they're doing it themselves or they're having uh, big IT partners who are doing it. So do you reckon the opportunities, mostly on the mid-tier and maybe smaller businesses rather than large businesses,
1: my focus in the last 20 years in Australia has been to work with SME and SMB. Why? Okay. is because that is the biggest band of companies mm. who are looking for organizations like us to help them. Mm. Okay? See, the thing is like this. Everybody wants to work in the enterprise space mm. because they can make $5 million, $2 million per project.
0: Mm.
1: Correct. Absolutely right. But the sales cycle for that five million or two million dollar is at least twelve months. Oh
0: yes. Oh yes.
1: As a small business, do you have the bandwidth to have a sales cycle which takes you twelve months? I'll no, go no. bankrupt, basically. No, I no, no, no. want I want wins. I want every month a customer to say yes or no to me. Right. Okay, if he says yes, we work with them. If he says no, we move on. Right. 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 I don't. And I don't have the. Uh, you sorry.
0: you get to talk to the decision makers. Those. So, I mean, personally, Correct. if you ask me, I would. I have worked in uh, corporates all my career, but. Uh, in between i got opportunity to work with their subsidiaries which yes. are smaller firms and the way Sorry. they run i loved that environment exactly, because, because they're talking,
1: nimble you see they're agile
0: and we are talking mm. to the decision maker exactly and uh, if i have the right relationship i can influence certain things and they are very straight in telling say yeah okay it will cost you cost me that much but that's not my budget what can mm. you do yes. now you, your your criti- creative juices started to flow in how can i help this guy and, 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 and you are yeah. only happy working directly with the decision maker and yeah. then you come up with idea which you would not have done otherwise because you want to follow the process and you have fear and all of those things. But when you are directly talking to the decision maker and you see the appetite, they want to do something, struggling with the numbers, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed doing those uh, projects. Uh, exactly. Right? So,
1: so once again, what you just said is, is it has to be the bane of every business. It is not about you. The business is not about you. It is about the customer. Right. 50 years back, I used to hear conversations where people in India would say customer is king. In 50 years time, nothing has changed. Customer is still the king. He decides when he will let you in. He decides when he will not let you in. Definitely. Okay. So when you look at a problem or a solution or a product that you want to sell, you got to look at it as if you are the customer. You are the customer will yeah. you buy it? Will you not buy it? And how does it help the customer when they acquire that solution?
0: Yeah, definitely. So you are the man in SME for you know 20 years in Australia. You are seeing uh, business process uh, uh, efficiency is still a challenge and you still see there is a space for um, professionals to get in.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I did not cover the entire landscape in Australia, of course, you know, yeah. so, that, so there are still a lot help. of companies Yes. Yeah.
0: So business process <clears throat> optimization or bringing efficiencies, uh, data, which is the analytics part of it, a lot of manual intervention where people are not even able to understand the customer journey or their in preference and all of those things you talked about. How about the security side? Is it uh, a white space in the SMEs or not?
1: It is. Cybersecurity is definitely becoming very big, especially when more and more companies are having their employees working remotely. Mm. Okay. Mm. Definitely a thing of to be considered. Okay. However, whatever cybersecurity tools companies will adopt, they will adopt something that is going to work with the current tools that they are working with. And I think a lot of cybersecurity tools do not want to talk to each other. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I'll give you an example. Um, Most companies, in fact, let's say Microsoft, right? Um, All mobile devices, you know, that that are Microsoft, they will have their own security patches sitting on there, right? Uh, Desktops, laptops, they will have their own patches sitting over there. Now you bring in a cybersecurity tool, they want to go on to. They want to have their footprints on each of those devices, whether they are endpoint devices or they are sitting in the in the servers, basically. Right now, companies say, if I have already invested money in all of these uh, tools, then you want me to sell another tool. As long as the cybersecurity tool company is able to say, okay, all these. We will integrate it too, but we will give you it something to, more.
0: Yeah, it has to be a plug-in rather than Correct. replacement. Correct, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pretty much. As a customer, I shouldn't be having the pain of, oh, no, I need to integrate, I need to relearn, I need to teach my stuff. Absolutely. And in Australia, we are pretty small country. We don't have Correct. that appetite like, okay, let me try. If it doesn't work, I'll replace it.
1: Absolutely so, right. I, I Absolutely. can't do
0: that. Security is also space and... Uh, I'm still hung up on this. I want to get something out from your mind. So, you <laughs> talked about uh, a lot of things the data side, the uh, cyber security side, the business process side. Do you see opportunity for in the SME space for uh, advanced digital? I mean, I don't want to use the word digital marketing, I would say advanced digital marketing, where you talked about one thing today, the businesses as well as career works by putting yourself out, creating a position of yourself where i talk about it or i specialize in this so you are inviting attention from the right stakeholder to you know get in there for a job or for a business also you you talked about in the early stage of this conversation yes, I you, that. Yeah. yeah, what's the what's the appetite for smes in that area what do you see as a business model that some of us can build
1: so what has changed in the last 25 years and i'm just talking about let's say australia right is the customer has become very tech-savvy, okay? From a time where the customer was just the business and they did not have much of technology knowledge. So I still remember we used to go to large companies when I was working at Aspect and at Praxa and we would show them 20, 25-page PowerPoint presentations that would bore the hell out of them.
0: Yeah. Okay?
1: Okay. But at the end of that presentation or that meeting, they would still ask me, "Do you have a copy you can give me?"
0: Seriously, now nobody wants to even see a. <laughs> exactly
1: right. Now they want to know what you are doing, basically. So the and and um, there's a there's a methodology called Challenger methodology. I believe very strongly in that. Right.
0: The sales thing.
1: Ha. Huh. In their their eye, that when a customer approaches you okay, they've already gone through almost 60% of the buying journey. Mm. Okay, and let mm-hmm. me give you an example. So when you view an RFI, and an RFQ, or a tender document, that means the customer has scoped the requirement, right? Mm. The customer has identified that there is a pain point that needs to be fixed. The customers identified that a solution has to be built around it and they have scoped the entire solution Mm. then what is the need for you the need for you as a service provider is only to show to them whether you have the capability to actually address their pain point and give them a solution which is going to be working for them and put a price tag to it what i'm saying is That we need to attract that same customer, not at 60% of the buying journey, but at 0% of the buying journey.
0: And uh, for that, you need to be in front of them well before.
1: Absolutely. You need to be becoming an educator. You need to be giving out information. You need to have enough content on social media, which makes you a subject matter expert.
0: I got the point. I When I,
1: when that prospect looks at that document and some chemical reaction takes up in his brain and he says, "Oh shit, this is exactly what I've been looking for. Let me pick up the phone and talk to Akiko."
0: So are you doing anything in that area uh, with the SMEs? Uh, so you your sales business is still business process optimization.
1: No, right now what we're doing is market entry, market penetration, so okay, that's said, so, second arm, yeah. Ha. Huh, so so there are two aspects to the business right now. One is, of course, as you said, it's not so much a process optimization, so we call it workflow automation. Workflow and within, automation. within workflow automation, then we also bring RPA as a technology, arm yeah. to it basically, right? Yeah. Because today, workflow automation and human yeah. influence yeah. is yeah. not going to work, right? Yeah. because customers are looking at even further dropping the cost, and they don't want a, a cost which is going to be ongoing for them. Right?
0: Everything the so, is machine first.
1: Exactly right. You know, so so that's where RPS come into effect. So the application that we build for them will then do all the repetitive work for them. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So now, whether we use tools like UiPath or Automation Anywhere or any free to use software, mm-hmm. that's that's depending upon who the customer is basically and how much they want to spend.
0: Sunil so I forgot that we are recording I know, it as I was as a looking podcast at that also <laughs> yeah and we kind of became i know very uh, conversational so we'll uh, come to the end couple of quick questions on as as you know the whole idea is to uh, inspire and educate uh, indian expats to go beyond their average 9 to 5 and you have covered a lot of ground in uh, the career aspect of it entrepreneurship uh, aspect of it in your journey do you have influences through people uh, like you talked about say richard branson or anybody like that so the books uh, people communities any anything that you would like to call out which people people can utilize
1: look i, I do read quite a bit uh, and and of course from different authors and different subjects basically but people who have influenced my thinking of course, Richard Branson, primarily because of the journey that he's had, right? Mm. Okay. And the dynamic personality that he is, right? Mm. No? And and again, he is one person who has not shied away from talking about his failures. Mm. I have a saying many years back, I got uh, interviewed by, uh, you know, this this Vision Asia. They do, they put satellites uh, at, you know, and, and, and of course, local Indian uh, uh, channels. Yes, I this, remember uh, that,
0: yes. Hmm? Dish, they had a dish. Correct, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah.
1: once a month, they would come out with a, a kind of a catalog which would define what channels would be running, what on what dates and everything else. Yes. And at the back of that booklet or that issue, they would interview one Indian expat, just the same way as you do, yeah. but it would be put into a paper format.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. So they asked me a question. There was a question over there. What is your biggest learning or something Mm -hmm. like that? Mm -hmm. And I said that if you have not failed, there is no learning. Definitely. And I think that goes very strongly with every entrepreneur that there will be failures. You have to be ready for failures and you should not be disappointed when the failure happens. Yeah. Right. But. There is always the next step. If you take yourself into the journey of being an entrepreneur, then you need to try something. But before you try anything else, you you need to do your own research about your customer, about the marketplace, and about how saturated the marketplace is. And I think mm-hmm. once you do that research, you will actually be very, very clear into what you want to do, and perhaps the failures might not be as much as you it would be. If you were to just say, "Oh, a friend of mine is doing this, let me also do this," you know, a lot mm. of times you do that. I've got money sitting in with me. A friend of mine is doing this, and he's doing—he's being very successful. Let mm. me also do it. It doesn't mean that you will be successful.
0: Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. that makes sense you talked a lot about uh, having the right network in your early days of entrepreneurship as well as in australia that has been very helpful mm-hmm. so somebody who's been in a corporate career for 10 15 years and uh, wants to get in business how do you how do you how does that person go about developing network uh, are there entrepreneurial communities that he can get into and participate or do you have any any idea that you can suggest there
1: yeah, definitely. And look, depending upon who you want to target, mm-hmm. there are lots of networking opportunities, right? Like there's a New South Wales small business community or something like that. Okay, mm-hmm. They invite people or they used to invite people, of course, face to face. And I think they had a format where they would ask maybe out of 200 people over there, about 15 people to get up onto a stage and do a one minute elevator speech. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. and of course, people would exchange cards. There would be drinks. There would be nibbles, and you interact with people. And and there were times that I used to go there, and I would come back with twenty five cards. And of course, from there, it's about follow up. It's about meeting those people again. Out of those twenty five, if you find five that would be of interest to you, you reconnect with them. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, I got that. So, So
1: that's one part of doing it. And there are lots of other networking events. And I think nowadays. Of course, since before the lockdown, I saw a couple of networking events uh, through people who are in my network asking me to come and meet with them, basically. So somebody organized something at the pump house um, uh, near Circular, no, sorry.
0: uh, uh, Near Darling Park.
1: Correct, yeah. And uh, it seems like there were about 150 people who turned up. So there are networking events, you know. Every local government has got what is called as business chambers,
0: Yeah.
1: right? Yeah. And whichever your suburb is, you can actually become a part of that business chambers and they then will invite you. They will also invite you not only to network, but a lot of times they will bring in a subject matter expert, like an accountant or like a lawyer, like somebody else who can talk about you know what you need to do to set up your business. What are the challenges that you face or whatever? And and then, of course, you network with other people.
0: What you just explained, Sunil, the perspective that you are giving, guys, there is no dearth of opportunities and yes. options and ways. It's all there. It's all out there. Google it and you will find it, you know. Absolutely. So <laughs> any, any book in the early stage uh, that you would suggest people reading in uh, startup uh, entrepreneurship? leaner startup kind of books or anything that uh, you recall has been really valuable in your whole uh, entrepreneurial journey?
1: One book that really impacted me uh, very positively is a book called Good to Great.
0: Good to Great. Jim it's a, com- it's called-
1: a book by Jim Collins.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: And great. it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't have to be a startup. It doesn't have to be a very large enterprise. It doesn't have to be a mid-sized company. I think the most important thing is how do you lead a company? Mm. okay leading an organization and creating successors is the most important thing okay
0: leadership is the key skill or experience to be developed
1: absolutely i mean you remember i told you in this conversation itself you know there's a big difference between
0: a person who's
1: a manager and who's a leader okay manager is there only for kpis they want to know what you are doing tick the boxes and ensuring that you stay where you are because they don't want to lose their position. Yeah, A leader is a person who says, hey, I want to train you, bring you up, come and sit on my chair, because I can go to the next chair.
0: Exactly. I got that. I got that. I think uh, I took a lot of time from you. It was very valuable. Uh, We became very conversational and Mm. got into different uh, slots and holes. So I'm pretty sure it's very valuable for it was definitely valuable for me. Anything that you had in mind that Hassan should ask because you've got 35 years of experience. I can't really cover that in a conversation. Anything you Mm. thought, Hassan, you should have asked this question to me because that would be very well.
1: No, not really. Look, uh, I think you covered a lot of ground uh, by different questions, and it does cover a lot of landscape that I've been through. I think the the most important key takeaway for people who will listen to your podcast is they need to get out of their comfort zone if they want to succeed, if they want to grow. Okay. At times you have to make sacrifices, but it's a part and parcel of your growth. Right. And um, yeah, and if businesses fail you pick yourself up you know dust yourself and and keep moving you know you don't stop because if you start looking backwards there's only darkness backwards right the light right. is in the front
0: definitely definitely uh, what's the best way to connect with you if somebody wants to uh, connect and get your advice or in general uh, connecting with you is it linkedin or anything else
1: they can connect with me on linkedin Right, I, I'll be I'll be cautious. I'll also put this caveat over there that I normally don't connect with everybody, and it's not because I'm pompous or I am I'm, <laughs> I'm I've got an ego chip on me or whatever. <laughs> but I am I'm the kind of person who do not want to have a LinkedIn connection database of twenty thousand. Mm, okay, mm, mm. I'm very selective about who I connect with. Mm. And I also want to ensure that if I'm connecting with somebody, it is not only about me contributing to them.
0: It has to be both
1: ways. It right? has to be a both ways street, basically. And I'm happy to. I mean, a lot of people have actually approached me through LinkedIn and they have not connected with me. All they've done is they've asked me a question. Mm. Okay. And I've addressed those questions to them.
0: Mm. Mm. Now, you you touched upon a very beautiful thing here, uh, Uh, Sunil and it's been my observation in the uh, business world people are willing to help but anybody who wants to go and ask help there has to be in this person's mind before I ask for help how can I add value to this person but when somebody asks that question first answer comes in mind oh I'm just starting out what value can I give that's where they get stuck. And I'm one of them. But slowly I realized, no, there is always something I could give back. Absolutely. If I go with that mindset, I will find a way. If I can't find a way, I would ask, what are you working on? Where are your challenges? I have got an area of challenge. I may not have the answer, but I can say, you know what? I may know somebody who has done something like
1: this. Correct. So everybody has a certain center of excellence, basically, right? You know, I may have one, you may have another. And if you approach me and you say, Sunil, I need some help from you. And I say, yeah, absolutely, that's okay. Now, it is not necessary that the help would come back also back from you, as you said. You know, you you might ask me, okay, how can I help? And I say, okay, I'm looking for something like this, for example, right? And you say, okay, you know, Sunil, I know somebody who I can introduce you to who will be able to help you with the same thing. You know? Definitely. And, and I think... You know the universe works in 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 mysterious ways, right?
0: I, um, I now I understand and I believe in it. I didn't yeah, know
1: before. Correct. So when you give to somebody, you don't expect it back from the same person.
0: You it just give,
1: right? You know, but eventually it'll come back to you.
0: That's called uh, you know giving. What's it called? Giving forward or something like that.
1: Yeah, is yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, what goes it. around comes around. Okay,
0: yeah. Thank you very much, Sunil. It uh, was uh, quite uh, insightful, and uh, definitely I'll be keen to help in any way possible. And uh, I will put your LinkedIn, I'll put your company's uh, links, etc. on the podcast when it goes out.
1: Sure. Thanks a lot. And I, I hope I was of some help. Here. Definitely, definitely. Okay. Let's keep um,
0: the connect. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Union Expats podcast with your host, Asan Ali. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Sunil and learned a few things about success mindset, Australian business culture, and opportunities in SME sector. I think my key takeaway was the ability to be resilient is key in success. I loved his story of getting his first job in a recruitment consultancy. It was also quite interesting to know that in his short employment stint in technology sales, he also faced redundancy. In spite of all the challenges, he started his business from scratch in Australia and made it a success again. Though the conversation went a bit longer, I believe it was worth the time Sunil shared so much of gold. So let me know what were your key takeaways and uh, do not hesitate to reach out to me if you are feeling stuck and keen to explore new opportunities. I may be able to assist you myself or connect you with someone who has already gone the path you want to take.